Hey everybody, we are back again. I am here, my name is David, I am your host of the Text Lab, and I am here with the amazing... Hi everyone, I'm Andrea Mullins. And we are going to be back into it again this week, diving deep into the text, really to help you prepare for your life group this week, to really walk intimately with Jesus as we dive into his word. Our goal in all of this is just to help you make disciples who make disciples who go and make more disciples. And so whether you're leading a life group, just trying to do some deep dive of your own, we really hope this is helpful for you to really understand the background of the text, understand what's happening in the text, and really help you have meaningful conversations about what God has said to us through his word. This week is John 8, 12 through 30. So let's get into it. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. You will die in your sin and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what, that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. All right. Big text again. Right. A lot of verses there. Who's but this picking is, these? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Drew picked these. But this is a big text, but it's a massive text, meaning it says a lot of incredible things. Um, continuing on the same themes that John has continuing to be hitting again and again. And so here we go again. Let's dive into this a little bit. Awesome. 45 minutes today. We're going to get into it all? Maybe. Probably Maybe. not. We'll see. I think the best place to start picking this text back up is talking a little bit about the narrative of what's happening. Right. Um, this story was interrupted a little bit because of the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. So now we're picking back this up this story and it's Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is this kind of long discourse that he's having back and forth with the religious leaders. And so to understand this as you're preparing this for your group or studying it on your own, you really need to link this text 
from 812 back to 752. Right. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week with kind of the textual criticism, understanding what's going on in 8, 1 through 11, but kind of you need to piece 752 with 812 here. Yeah, that story about the woman caught in a drill tree kind of floats above everything. Think of it like a hot air balloon mm-hmm. where it can kind of land wherever. Yep. This story is connected underneath. Yep. And so they're at the Feast of the Tabernacles and the themes that came up during the Feast of the Tabernacles come back up again. You've got these themes of water, um, remembering the deliverance that God did, taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. Um, They're walking in the desert. And then you've got these themes of Jesus as the fulfillment of this promise that goes back to Zechariah 14. Water is what we looked at in John 7. And now we're going to look at some light here in John 8 as that as a major theme as well. And you really see this first I am statement, really not this first I am statement, the second I am statement that Jesus makes that I am the light of the world. Right. He's already said, I am the bread of life. And here he's talking about being the light of the world. Mm, Totally. And so we've got five more of these to go. This is the second out of seven I am statements that Jesus makes. And really, this goes back to Zechariah 14. In Zechariah 14, you've got um, a lot of different things happening there. Um, Zechariah 14 says that in the day of the Lord, not only will there be an abundant of water flowing from the tabernacle, but also that it will be a unique day without day or night. And so Zechariah 14, 7 says that um, there really is this emphasis on water and light at the same time. 14, 7 says that when evening comes, there will be light. And so just think of these images happening here. Zechariah 14 is talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, It basically says that everybody needs to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles or you're not going to have rain the next year. Super important. Go to the Tabernacle so you can eat. Totally. Huge motive motivation for people to come to this feast. It would have been the biggest feast that there was because people wanted rain. And then in the midst of this, you have these themes of water that we just saw last week and light and Jesus making an I am statement that goes back to the Moses Exodus, which is what the whole feast is about. And so there's just layers upon layers of layers of imagery here with Jesus saying um, that he is the light of the world with Jesus saying last week that if anyone's thirsty, let them come and drink and this I am statement that goes back to Moses. It's just incredible kind of how many layers of imagery are here. Super incredible. So with your group, it might be super fun to go back and read Zechariah 14. So you can see exactly how these two passages link together because the original audience would have already had this in the back of their mind. Totally, totally. It's just kind of incredible. It literally flows from water to light. I am statement, all of which Jesus is doing here. And they would have heard that. They would have known that and thought of Zechariah 14 right away. Um, It's just amazing the amount of imagery that Jesus has going on here. And so let's visualize for a second, kind of on that theme of imagery, helping really understand what this festival would have been about and kind of the more practical pieces of what was actually happening at this time. Right, so we get this little like blip in the verses here in verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury and it tells Mm. us where Jesus is in the temple. The treasury was actually in the court of the women. Mm. And in the court of the women, you would have found these massive stands, four Mm. large stands, each one holding four golden bowls. So four stands, four golden bowls, six, these golden bowls were um, lanterns. They were filled with oil. And then they used the old garments from the priests Mm. to make the wicks. So like, You know the size of a wick. Imagine one made out of clothing. Massive. Big. And there are 16 of these. And then you've got this massive limestone temple set Mm. on a hill. And at the night, they're going to go and they're going to light all of these. And just try to imagine that scene in your mind. There's no electricity. 
Yep. You know how it is when you go out to the stars at night and they just light up the sky? This yeah. is a massive torch on a hill. Mm. And this is when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Yeah. And eight, this is incredible because 820 here tells us that Jesus is in the treasury, which we which means that he would have been right next to where this basically light ceremony would have been happening. Yes. He's standing right next as they light these bowls and they start to glow with kind of this light that's on fire. Once that happens, Jesus is like, hey, you know who I am? I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Another part of the feast that would have been happening is people would have literally been dancing in the streets, singing, celebrating the deliverance of God from Egypt, remembering that. And so it's literally kind of this like survivor type, like fire ceremony meets like a Disney parade. Yeah. The Disney light parade with all the little yeah. squirrels turning around. Totally. Yeah. And and then Mickey shows up. Right. <laughs> like whatever would have like set off the crowd, it would have been like Jesus stands up and says, hey. Remember the water from Zechariah 14? Remember how I just talked about that? Remember the light? And now I am the light of the world. And even just the fact that he uses an I am statement here. Don't miss this. He would have basically said, I am God, the light of the world. That's how they would have literally heard that. Nobody else throughout all of scripture had used language like that except for God talking to Moses. I am who I am. So Jesus stands up and says, I am God, the light of the world. Yeah. And that just would have probably been shocking. I mean, I think you could even talk about that with your group. How do you think people would have responded to that? Or what do they even have felt? What would they would have thought? Um, As you're in the midst of celebrating this feast and all this imagery, and then someone is standing up and saying, all of this is about me. It's just these massive mic drops that Jesus does over and over again. Um, And you really have to know your Old Testament. I mean, again, this is just like a great opportunity to say, study your Old Testament, know this imagery, because you just will not get what John's talking about here at all without being kind of able to go back and study Zechariah 14 and look at the Old Testament text and see, this is all about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah here. Right. Um, and then there's all these other light themes all throughout Scripture All throughout as well. Scripture. I think this is a great group project that you guys could do together. Just try to think of all the times in Scripture when you've heard light from the very mm. beginning, right? Genesis 1-3, God spoke and there was light. Yeah. And then you've got Exodus and the pillar of fire at night and other places where we see it. I'm not going to give you all the answers. You should do that with your group. But it's this massive theme through the whole story where if we just brush over, oh, Jesus is saying, I am the light. And we live in a society where you can just go flip a light on. This is totally different. Light was life for Mm, them. mm. And that's great. I mean, imagine even a world that was mainly anytime it was night, you were in utter darkness. Right. I mean, just like pitch black. Imagine light before electricity, the themes here that Jesus talks about, like the significance of that light and what that would have even meant for your daily life, um, all throughout scripture, themes of light that are, that are kind of all over, um, old and new Testament as well. And, and so then Jesus continues, he says that he's the light of the world and he starts talking about his relationship with his father again. Um, Jesus did this back a few chapters ago. If you look back and you remember from Chapter 5, Jesus talking about the authority of the Son because of who his Father is. And a big question people always say to Jesus, you've seen this, they're asking him, where do you come from? But they also are asking him, like, who's your daddy? They're also just asking, who's your father? And I think this is important not to miss because in the first century, who your father was had determined everything about who you were. Mm. So we have very kind of separate relationships between you and your dad. And we talk a lot about, like, you're not your parents. And, like, you have your own career choice, your own personality, your own life 
life and future. That wasn't the way it was in the first century. Who your dad was determined exactly who you were. And not even who your dad was, but who your grandpapa was. And beyond that, and beyond that, and like just family genealogy. That's why uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke start off with this huge genealogy because they're yeah. establishing who Jesus' the family line is. The and the lineage, the royalty. Who his dad is. Yeah, Absolutely. and so that's a really big deal here. And so they're asking Jesus, um, who's your father? And, and Jesus is telling them, if you knew my father, you would know me, but you don't know my father. Um, and so you don't know me. And, and, and basically when Jesus is saying that he's basically saying he's equal with his father, he's equal with God by saying that he is God's yeah. son. That's kind of what that would have meant. And that's what makes them so upset at Jesus again. So you see Jesus kind of talking about who his father is, that he has the right to judge again, something only God can do. Um, and then he kind of tells them that their hearts are sinful, um, that their need for salvation is only possible by believing in Jesus. And then he does some foreshadowing of the cross here. This is one of the first places we see this in the book of John, where Jesus starts to talk about the cross that's going to come. He says, um, when you have lifted up the son of man, um, and he's kind of starting to foreshadow his death and what is coming, um, in the future. And they don't really understand a lot of this. Um, like we've seen before, the same song, next verse throughout the book of John, Jesus reveals these things. They struggle to believe. Um, they struggle to understand what what he's saying. They really do. And then I think there's also another one of those like legal arguments that Jesus is having. They're like, you don't have enough witnesses. Mm. And this is kind of like when your kids come to you, moms, you'll appreciate this. And they're like, hey, we really want to go outside and play ball in the dark, can we? And you have to tell them again, no, yeah. we've already had this conversation. That's not the way it is. <laughs> Jesus is doing the same thing. He's like, over and over again. listen, we already had this conversation. Yeah. I told you that my father is a witness with me. Yeah. Moses is a witness. The scriptures are a witness and you still don't get it. And so mm. he sa- when he says like, hey, you're going to die in your sins, you, yeah. you're like, you're missing the point. You're so busy trying to be right yeah. that you can't hear the yep. truth. Yep. Yep. And and from an exegetical standpoint, notice just the repetition again all throughout the book of John. Is yeah. there's one thing I feel like that we've said over and over again. Feels like our staff is starting to say this. We even were in a staff meeting this week and said, Hey, well, John's kind of saying the same thing again. How do you say that in new words? Or like, well, be, remember and look at what's coming next in John, which is basically about Jesus healing a man born blind and more themes of light and seeing. And we were kind of saying, okay, how do we like not unpack all of this in one setting because it's going to be the same thing next week. And so the the beauty of that is that John is super clear on what the main point is here. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Yeah. And I think that's the main point of the book of John. Jesus is God. Believe in him and you will have life. Um, so as an exegetical tool, that might feel like kind of like a simple tool. But if you just start circling in your Bible, highlighting it on your phone, whatever it is, the amount of times you see the same themes over and over again. And this is where like scripture can really start to come alive to you. This is where it can really start to like nourish your heart. Where you really have this experience of like a day-to-day walk with Jesus where you're meditating on the word and you're chewing on the word. You're not using it as a weapon. You're not using it to like Bible thump people over the head. But it's really the word of God alive in your heart is as you do some of this deep study and you're kind of chewing on it. You're meditating on it. And these themes, this imagery that John uses will really start to nourish you, really start to encourage you, uh, really start to strengthen you throughout the day. So just encourage you, like pay attention to that repetition again. We're going to keep saying that every other week. Um, But it just just reveals the main point that John is trying to make in this passage that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. He's the light of the world. Salvation is possible by believing in him and but to believe to follow him andrea bringing it home a little bit of just day-to-day hour-to-hour moment-to-moment life 
Like what's some of the, the application? What's some of the application? Well, I want to piggyback on what you just said too, and just say that oftentimes when we see those rep- repeated themes in mm. scripture, there are also themes that are still alive and active yeah. today. Like yeah. that's one of the most amazing things to me about the yeah, Bible yeah. is that as you begin to learn and understand it, humanity hasn't changed much. Right, totally. two thousand years later, it's still perfectly relevant. Yeah. Um, you just have to dig. Yeah. So I think for me, what really came to light with this came to light. That was fun. That was, that uh, was awesome. Well played. Yes. Okay. So seriously, though, as you think back over the last year, I think we can all remember times when things felt dark. Mm-hmm. Whatever that was, like maybe it was depression clouding in. Yeah. Maybe you were watching the election, whichever way you were thinking and wondering, how is this going to go? Maybe you're watching the racial tension. Maybe you're just stuck at home with your kids Mm -hmm. or you're trying to work from home and it's just not working or you've had one too many Zoom calls, whatever it is, (laughs) you can feel the darkness start to close in. And I think the question for me is like, where do we make space to Mm -hmm. look for Jesus as the light? Mm -hmm. Um, And what does it look like for him to be light in 2021? Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, great. That's a great discussion question yeah. for your group too. Yeah. Just where so, where um, has God shown up as light? Where have maybe even just been the dark moments? Where have been the really difficult moments in this last year? And what does that look like to even just dwell and walk in that light to make space? I like how you said that, to make space to remember the light, to live in the light, and then to walk in the light. Um, yeah, that's great. I think for me, there's just this encouragement that like Jesus actually is light. Like I think I can often feel overwhelmed with the reality of the darkness that's in our world. Gosh, the reality of the darkness that's in my heart, my sinfulness, my brokenness, and just this real promise from Jesus that he is the light and that he brings light. I love the way he says that, but whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. There's kind of some possessive there, um, some possession going on that you will have the light of light, which is kind of incredible. Jesus is the light, but then he's offering himself as something we can actually possess, which as we know from book of Romans and other places, that's like Jesus light dwelling in us now. And so just thinking about that, like we're broken, but light dwells in us, the light of Christ. And we can live and walk in that light continually. Every moment, every day, that's what the abundant life is. That's what the good life is. Living and walking in the light. Um, which is truly the kingdom of God living and walking in that um, as, as you live, as you walk through your life. Well, thanks for spending your time with us. Um, our hope and our promise is that we're going to do our best to make this time valuable for you as the leader. If this has helped you in any way, let us know. Yep. Whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, or whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped encouraged and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. Do your own prep. Let the spirit lead you. Know that you truly are one who's sent out this week into your group, your family, into your neighborhood, into your school, into your prayer watch community, wherever that might be, to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you guys, and we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.